0: China has been doing public testing for its new digital currency called the Digital Yuan or Digital Currency Electronic Payment. The introduction of the digital money issued by the People's Bank of China has significant implications for the future of China's payment economy and for services like WeChat Pay and Alipay. To talk more about the Digital Yuan and its potential impacts, we sat down with Jeremy Mark, a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. From the U.S. China Business Council in Washington, D.C., I'm Ian Hutchinson and this is the China Business Review Podcast. So to start at the most basic level, can you run through what exactly is the digital yuan?
1: The digital yuan is essentially a digital currency like a lot of other central banks now are working on introducing. It is, strictly speaking, legal tender. It is the equivalent of cash that is issued by a central bank that you could put in your wallet. And in fact, in the case of the digital yuan, they're going to be, in essence, creating digital wallets, electronic wallets that would essentially be like apps on a phone. So you literally do not even need to back up what you have in your digital wallet with a bank account. You simply can purchase an amount of money from probably from a bank, although that's not fully clear yet. This will be backed up by the central bank itself and you can use it in any context, instead of cash, instead of a credit card, or in China, instead of using mobile payment platforms like Alipay or WeChat Pay, which represent a huge portion of day-to-day spending in much of China. The big difference be between the electronic wallet, the digital UN, and the payment platforms, beyond the fact that the payment platforms have to clear through a bank account is that you do not have to have your device attached to the internet or even to the phone system. In essence, it is money that's, that's embedded in your phone and you can simply pay by, let's say, using a QR code or if it's person to person, tapping phones. Now, this is very useful in parts of China because it means that you can do transactions in settings where you don't have access to, to digital transmission. And it potentially could make things much easier because there's less backroom work, which, of course, there
0: is with a credit card transaction or with a mobile payment. Mm-hmm. So then if that is the state where it currently is, you know, let's talk about, you know, where it came from. Presumably they were, you know, pilot programs that were run that your initial test ideas. So what did the initial pilot programs, the first uses of digital yuan look like for for consumers?
1: We essentially are there right now. China is in uh, the pilot stage of using using the digital yuan. Right now they are using it in a group of cities around the country, uh, slowly expanding that. Banks are issuing the currency and retailers are allowing consumers to pay with their electronic wallet uh, instead of other forms of payment. I think that they've been talking about they being the People's Bank of China primarily, which is leading this effort. They're talking about next year, uh, at the time of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, broadening the use of the digital UN to involve athletes, tourists who are coming in for the olympics and other people who are attending and that will sort of be the big unveiling at that point they're starting to talk in terms of of a timeline that extends out to 2024 2025 for much broader usage but i think they're right now they're still in the process of of working out how it's going to function and figuring out where there are some difficulties there is a number that's floating around in the Chinese press. The big payment platforms like Alipay, WeChat Pay, are able to process roughly 250,000 electronic payments per second. The PBOC, the People's Bank of China, is targeting a sort of a midterm transaction rate of about 300,000 transactions
0: per second. And they're nowhere near that right now. Do you know off the top of your head, by chance, what the like average transactions per second for something like AliPay and WeChat Pay would be? Like, like what are the the equivalent sort of rates the private platforms are being used at right now?
1: Um, I'd say that we're talking about uh, roughly quarter million transactions per second, uh, probably at peak times, but that, that's just one figure that's out there. And obviously the data on this sort of thing is is to a certain extent uh, kept, kept
0: private. So, so what is the general reaction from users been to this? Or is there enthusiasm for it? Is there a, a sense one way or another how people are, are reacting to them?
1: It's hard to tell, and of course, for people like us in the United States in a pandemic, it's not possible to go to China and and get a feel (laughs) for it. But the reality is that we're only getting a picture through the Chinese media. If there are negative reactions, we're not hearing it for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I would say is the general sense one gets is that it's seen as cumbersome. Uh, It's also seen as something that is not nearly as convenient as mobile payments, because the big mobile payment platforms are thoroughly embedded in people's lives in China. Um, Essentially, China has become, certainly in urban settings, a cashless economy. This means not just that you can buy easily, you can pay for taxis or anything else very smoothly without having to pull your wallet out, without having to use a credit card. It also means that you are in a position within the context of these mobile platforms to save, to invest, to do stock market purchases and other sorts of investments like that. Um, to take out loans, small loans and larger loans, even to to get insurance, so that life has already become a web of these transactions that are being fas- that that is being facilitated by the private sector. And keep in mind that the big mobile payments platforms also are part and parcel of these huge e-commerce platform conglomerates, Alibaba and WeChat. With competing uh, retail outlets and a whole range of services, so what the government is essentially doing right now is asking people to to put that aside and simply buy things with a dif- with a different entity, the, the the digital UN. And the sense one gets is that a lot of people are hesitant or don't care or um, just you know can't you know can't be bothered now. Obviously, this is something that the government wants to proceed with. It's made very clear that it, for various reasons, wants the digital UN in time to become a primary form of um, money in China. So that we are seeing already inducements, fee-less sales of these through banks or lower transaction fees they're, they're, you know, they, they it's it's not very expensive to use a mobile payment platform like AliPay, but there are fees involved. The mm. government's in a position to undercut that, and in time, the government may uh, f- use uh, more coercive means uh, or persuasive means to get people to to make the digital UN. Uh, part of their daily lives
0: mm-hmm. and, and that kind of leads me into the the next question i had which is you know what is the long-term impact of a broad adoption of digital yuan in china going to be for these digital payment companies because we've seen them really in the news lately getting cracked down on for like data privacy reasons and, and others but what will the long-term impacts of, of you know the launch of this digital currency be for these digital payment companies i think
1: in the long term the digital payment platforms are going to be completely eclipsed by the digital UN. The writing is on the wall. The government has made clear it is extremely uncomfortable with the idea that private companies are dominating the payment space in China, are carving out financial services over which it so far has had somewhat limited control uh, of course, the companies have not made things easier for themselves because they've pushed the boundaries uh, on regulations. They have not necessarily been fully cooperative with the government on issues like sharing data. Uh, and in the West, of course, it would seem very natural that companies would resist things like sharing their own proprietary information. China, I think, has a very different shall we say, financial sector ecosystem now mm-hmm. in which political imperatives are transforming accepted practices and we are seeing that the, that the central government, the financial authorities are going to assert their prerogatives in a way they have not done until now. Uh, what this means going forward is most likely the digital platforms will be eclipsed uh, th- then They themselves have talked about they see a future in which they will simply become service providers for the government. And if you were to take it further and look at it a little differently, we will see a central bank that has unprecedented access to data to both conduct monetary policy in a way that's never been done before. And also to exert control over how people are spending their money. And they are talking about controllable anonymity, which is a fairly Orwellian term. They, you know, I- if you use a payment platform, your transactions are largely anonymous to the to to the government. The the, the private sector company knows what you're doing, but they're not sharing that when you buy a digital wallet you will be registering your name and other information with the people's bank of china they maintain that for the vast majority of chinese users of the digital yuan this will remain anonymous but they will have access to this information for addressing issues like money laundering financing of terrorism, whether or not that's a significant issue in China, uh, and a range of other illegal activities. But I think it's not unreasonable to project that this data will actually end up being used much more widely. For starters, China has made it clear through various government policies, including the 14th Five-Year Plan, that big data, the accumulation of troves of information uh, from the, from their own society, wi- this data will be used to, to strengthen efforts to develop various artificial intelligence applications. Now, this is not information that is going to be used, for example, for modern you know, advanced warfare, but it is information that can be used in the conduct of monetary policy, financial sector policy, and one should assume that for security services, it will open up a new realm of information about people if they should uh, you know, come to the attention of the authorities. I mean, a good example of this is, would be is if you look at uh, Xinjiang in China's west, where the Uyghur people and other Muslim people are under tremendous pressure from the security services where their their lives are controlled in any number of fashions that already employ artificial intelligence, for example, facial recognition technology, mm-hmm. given access to what people's buying habits are, where they spend the money, how they spend it, uh, there will be an, a new realm of social control. You can look at it in a, should we say, a somewhat more benign fashion. China has a social credit system in which people's Activities as they go through their daily lives are, to the extent that they can be categorized and and compiled, um, are used to rate where they stand in society. This opens up the use of an electronic wallet, in which you're registering, you know, what your purchases are going to be. In essence, opens up a new realm. You know, I'll give you an example. Somebody, somebody gets involved in a. Uh, in, a, in a, a drunk driving accident they'll be in a position to go and look at purchases to see not just what you may have bought on the day of an accident to see what your your buying habits and drinking habits have been over a period of time what stores do you buy booze in? what restaurants do you drink in this sort of thing so it, it again this is a fairly orwellian uh prospect
0: outside of China, what, if any, are going to be the international implications of this? You know, how would the digital yuan's adoption affect the United States?
1: There's been a tremendous amount of discussion of this in Washington and more broadly outside of China. Um, China Mm -hmm. is uh, asserting a presence in the global economy that 20 years ago was virtually unimaginable. And if this is going to continue. I think it's very much a part, uh, a part of the longer-term plan uh, of the Chinese government, of the Chinese Communist Party, to, to assert greater influence in the global economy. China will soon be, uh, by some measures, uh, potentially the largest economy in the world. I think in the short to medium term, this is not really a story about um, the impact outside of China. This is much more about the Chinese domestic economy. China first has to make the digital UN uh, a a primary form of legal tender in day-to-day activities throughout the economy and not just in terms of people going out and buying, you know, a couple of cabbages or or a pound of pork, but in terms of significant transactions involving major businesses. I think that there's no real discussion of any kind of major presence or major effort to develop a presence for the next two or three years I, I've heard that they're experimenting, for example with some with some African trading uh, for smaller businesses to make use of of the digital u n a- at this stage of 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 experimentation uh, But we are hearing things like. A couple of years down the road, contracts being written now talk apparently talk about making use of the digital UN for, for payments. You can envision with the Belt and Road Initiative, China's uh, vast lending and investment program to develop infrastructure that links various d- parts of the world, developing countries to China, that the, the digital UN will – could – in the medium term start to play more of a role. You could see foreign trade uh, payment for Chinese exports or even China paying for imports involved in the digital yuan. But a significant impact on global trade, a significant change in the way that international payments uh, are are carried out, the way financial markets operate, that's much longer term. The number 2 percent is very good in in talking about this. Right now, the renminbi represents about 2 percent of global foreign exchange reserves. The U.S. dollar is about 60 percent. It's also about 2 2 percent of foreign exchange spot trading. It's also about 2 percent of the currency used in cross-border trades. And interestingly, it's also about 2% of transactions undertaken bank-to-bank through the SWIFT system uh, of of bank-to-bank transactions. In that case, the U.S. dollar is about 40% of SWIFT transactions. And if there's a quote-unquote threat, it's much more from the euro, which is currently at about 37%. So from that point of view, Given the trillions of dollars that move through the global financial system, the Run B is a long way out, and that means I think the desire to to make the digital UN a a a primary means of of conducting international transactions is is well out. Um, the, but I do think that, realistically, we have to think in terms of longer time frames for Chinese government policy, because the frameworks they are now establishing with their with various policies through the five-year plan, through their FinTech framework, financial technology framework, they are thinking further out. And this involves um, how they are beginning to make use of big data in, in how they envision Internet transactions uh, a generation out being being conducted. China has a uh, is developing a network call, called the blockchain service network, which is essentially seen as another way of conducting uh, the the internet uh, the way the internet works in terms of 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 the actual hardware and software of of all the information that passes around the world, and there. Are, are plans that they've pointed to that suggest that the big data that would come out of the use of the digital UN, both in China and eventually outside of China, could be tied into the big data that will be at the base of the blockchain service network. So if you were to think out, you know, 20 years, then the digital currency that China is issuing and all the other uh, plans involving the use of data and and blockchain possibilities could very well have much greater implications for the global economy for the international financial <laughs> system. Um, okay. Yaya Fanusi of the Center for New American Security. Uh, is doing research in this area and uh, made a presentation to a U.S. US Congressional Commission that delved into this, and it was very, very interesting.
0: So I'm assuming it tethers into the the testimony there, but one thing I'd seen bandied around of a potential implication for the the digital yuan would be the effect on U.S. sanctions power. Um, Maybe you could explain that or or how it might affect other U.S. economic coercive duels. I've
1: also heard that and people have been writing about it. I guess there's the best answer to that is yes, but. Mm. Evading Mm. sanctions is already a global industry. (laughs) There are plenty of ways to evade sanctions. Just look at uh, North Korea. Mm -hmm. Look at how uh, Huawei Technologies uh, allegedly was conducting transactions uh uh with with uh, various entities that are facing u s government sanction so yes it's possible, but in- in, I can't imagine that a lot of people are, are, are sort of sitting there <laughs> rubbing their hands going, oh, I can't wait till we can do this with digital UN <laughs> and avoid the Federal Reserve System mm-hmm. which tracks dollar transactions. Yes, it might become something in international sanctions context, but there is another way of looking at sanctions and I think this is a, this is a little more hair-raising in, in the immediate future. In the past year, we have seen China lash out at foreign companies for announcing that they would boycott purchases of goods from uh, companies and entities in Xinjiang, where where China has these very repressive policies toward the Uyghur people. Mm-hmm. Okay, This involved the Swedish retailer H&M, for example. There was, at one point when boycotts were announced, there were official moves that excluded H&M products from e-commerce platforms in China and prevented China-based GPS systems from pointing consumers who did searches to H&M stores. Now imagine what happens if company X incurs the wrath of the Chinese government and suddenly you can't go into that company's stores in China and use your your digital wallet to buy there's a t- there's a, a a a term that's applied to digital currencies called programmability where there is an ability to do any number of things to uh, shall, we sh- shall we say shape how uh, a, a digital currency is used or what, um, what interest rates are attached to it and this sort of thing. Now, I think the way this is being looked at uh, theoretically is in terms of, of how to conduct a more granular monetary policy. You, know, you could program you could program a digital currency, for example, to, after a certain date, have a negative interest rate attached to it, which obviously makes it uh, uh, much more attractive for a consumer to spend now if you, want to, if you want to stimulate the economy. You can offer higher interest rates for a period of time to slow down spending. These are two fairly simple ways of looking at it. But imagine if there's a more nefarious approach to the, to, to the idea of programming where you can in essence institute narrowly focused sanctions against businesses that are operating within your economy or w-
0: even within the realm of a digital wallet. Do Do you have any thoughts on, you kind of gave an example there of how it might, but how the digital yuan would impact foreign companies operating within China? I think that
1: um, it's likely that it won't be long until all companies are starting to make use of the digital UN. Once they they move from this, this stage of, of, of trial and error to, to uh, uh, a broadly defined policy that will allow the, 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 the nationwide issuance of the currency. So companies will, at that point, probably begin to make use of it or have to find ways to accommodate customers who want to use it. And I'm sure that that foreign companies who have a a very significant presence in the Chinese economy will also have to adjust the way they do their business.
0: So I guess that just in closing, what what do you think the next 25 years say, just to throw a number out there? will look like in terms of the development of this digital currency, what do you think that the sort of future holds for this in the long run? You've kind of touched on it a few places before, but what's your broad sense?
1: Globally, I think we will see uh, digital currencies emerge as as legal tender uh, eventually around the world. Uh, interestingly, the U.S. Fed is much further behind than many other central banks, and I think the pressure is going to build on the Fed to get to, you know, to devote more attention to this and to start devising plans. I, uh, my understanding is that the Fed would very much like the U.S. Congress to take the lead on this. Uh, but I do think that we are looking at a world in 25 years in which cash cash will – not be used much. I mean, most of us haven't used much cash in the last uh, almost year and a half because of the pandemic. I have bills in my wallet that have been there for eight, nine months. So I don't think it's going to be hard for anybody to envision you know, going beyond that, uh, going from touchless credit cards to to touchless uh, phones that are, are paying. And the Chinese are doing it already through their payment platforms. I think China is taking the lead. I think China is very forward-looking uh, in in terms of of how this might benefit the Chinese economy, how this might help to to mold uh, the development of China's financial system. But I also think that China is entering into this uh, brave new world, uh, a term I, I use quite quite consciously, mm-hmm. uh, um, not fully grasping. What the implications are for a financial system that right now it still has many weaknesses, ha- many vulnerabilities, and um, is uh, not necessarily going to be in a position to react quickly and smoothly to the unexpected.
0: The China Business Review Podcast is a production of the U.S. China Business Council, and you can always learn more about the work that we do on our website, uschina.org. The show is also a podcast companion to a digital magazine of the same name. You can always read more articles about the U.S.-China economic and business relationship at chinabusinessreview.com. If you like the show, please leave it a rating and review. It will always help other people find it. As always, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back soon.